What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smartcoat Moment channel, where we go back in time to the year 2002, check out all of the episodes of Smackdown under Paul Heyman's stewardship as head writer, and I'm your host as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me, as per usual, is Robert DeFelice. Callum, we got a big show. You've got a big champion. It's a very big champion. Yeah, it's a very big show, a very big champion. It's the first show came back from Survivor Series 2002, which hopefully people have checked out on our Patreon. Because if you really want the full rounded experience of us going back in time to the year 2002, then you should be checking out Patreon, getting on the $10 tier or above and watching all the other great episodes we've done, all the pay-per-view reviews we've added on top of these shows you're getting here every Saturday here on the Smart Moment channel. Uh, but any amount of money that you can give is obviously greatly appreciated there. And of course, if you want to get involved in the conversation right here and right now, you can drop a comment below in the comment section. You can leave a like and all this other great stuff that you can do. If you're listening to us for any of the podcast feeds, then drop a rating or a view that you can do for the Smart Moment channel. Uh, other things you can do is if you want to listen back to the very first episode and listen all the way through to here, episode 22, then head over to the playlist on the Smart Moment channel. And of course, there's something else that you're supposed to do, which I probably should know if I had my notes up, which I do not. But my well, notes, my notes are telling yeah. me. Hit the bell, uh, hit the applause button. We got all that good stuff over there. Oh, yeah. And obviously, of course, that there is this episode of SmackDown in the description as well, if you haven't checked it out beforehand. Uh, it's actually really good if you actually have your plug notes written up in front of you beforehand, which I occasionally do do. But for some reason today, I decided, yeah, I'm just going to wing it. But that's, oh, well, that's kind of how we operate here in this. Yeah, yeah, listen, I mean, if you've been around this channel long enough, you know, we wing it sometimes. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, let's get the Tony panel out here at some point. That's right. But uh, let's kick things off as we usually do here by talking about a few news and events. Um, there's nothing super exciting in the news side of things. We'll obviously get more exciting when we actually talk about the episode of SmackDown itself. Uh, one of the stories is something in Pennsylvania where the uh, commissioner, Greg Serb, has decreed that essentially they'd put in some restrictions on wrestling to try and curb certain things happening that they felt were too extreme or too violent. So they decreed that barbed wire and light tubes were banned to be used in the state, in the state within a, a, rest, a professional wrestling context, as well as fighting outside the barricades and into the crowd. Wow. And, that if, and that if any wrestler was in the crowd while bleeding at the same time, they would pull the promoter's license. Well... So, so this is Pennsylvania. This is 2002. So we're probably dealing mostly with combat zone wrestling. Cause, I like, actually believe that it was com- that stuff. I believe it was something to do with either combat zone wrestling or XPW. I think was one of either one of the uh, two that was um, associated with essentially having these restrictions put in place. It wasn't anything WWE did, but it meant that WWE was now at least in in theory under these restrictions when they went to Pennsylvania. Especially considering the fact that Philadelphia is there and that's the home of ECW. That's probably something they couldn't really keep up for too long. Uh, other news, we have uh, Joni Laura, uh, China, of course. Appeared. I hope this is good news. Um, well, I guess at the time it was good news. In historical context, it wasn't. Uh, but it kind of, that's kind of the, the rule with China at this point in time. Uh, she announced that she had gotten engaged to Sean Walkman. Okay. Uh, if you obviously do know the context of the time going forward, you know that that didn't actually lead to a marriage. Yep. But uh, yeah, at, at the time, 
they I guess they were both out of WWE. They both weren't in the the greatest state mentally, I imagine. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, obviously, I don't know whether I think this was either pre. I don't know if it was pre or post the uh, sex tape being leaked. And did was this pre or post? Uh, what was that show on VH1? Where there were uh, China was on this reality show. I can't recall the name of it right now. But I remember X Pac showed up with like flowers, and he was super wasted. And that they were in a toxic point in their lives. Thankfully. For Waltman, he's cleaned up since then. China, unfortunately, as we know, didn't have the happiest ending to her story, but she is recognized in the WWE Hall of Fame, so that counts for something. So, other news, WWE filed a lawsuit against Acclaim Entertainment, uh, claiming copyright infringement and breach of contract. Essentially, they wanted to stop for the what? further dis- wanted to stop further distribution of a, a number of games that they had that were several years old at this point, including Attitude, Warzone, In Your House, and WrestleMania. Why? I, I guess they were moving <laughs> on beyond that thing. Maybe they just didn't want to hold those things in their, in their account anymore. I guess because they weren't working with a claim anymore, they didn't want a claim making any money off of their old games. That's so weird. <laughs> like, Why would you be like, oh, you know what I don't want? People buying my merchandise. What if there's some guy, like, who, you know, didn't have a copy of WrestleMania the arcade game and wanted it. And, wow, that seems so dumb. Mm. Um, the only other piece of news was um, involves the Ultimate Warrior. So really going oh, around the oh going around the horn uh, <laughs> here a little bit. Um, he came out of, um, he was on the internet. He talked about a story about him being asked to turn heel in 1992 by Vincent Mann. Uh, so, I believe so that. I believe that that was at least discussed. Yeah, so the story behind this, uh, Meltzer actually dived into this, into the um, Observer, and actually researched his claim, and apparently it is at least accurate by his measure. The idea being that they decided that they were going to run with Bret Hart as the top babyface in the company, and after a run of matches where Ultimate Warrior was taking on Randy Savage for the WWE Championship did not draw particularly well for the company, they decided, well, we're going to go in the direction of Bret Hart is a smaller guy, he's not this roided out, guy especially at this point in time in wwe's murky waters with the idea of wanting to avoid people using steroids the steroid trial all this stuff the fight of his life Vincent man all of that all of that stuff surrounding it meant that if you're going to keep up with my warrior it's probably better having him going as a heel against heart rather than be the baby face i get that but I know that Hart had said he wanted to beat Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 9, that that was, like, at least discussed, or maybe it was, like, Royal Rumble 93. But who... When did they run Savage and Warrior for the title? I mean, as best I can tell. They ran it, right, but they ran it for SummerSlam. But don't they always tout that that show drew 80,000 people? Like... That show did draw 80,000. You know, the funny thing about that, again, it was something that I was listening to recently, is the fact that that show actually drew more than they announced. Really? But they couldn't, but they couldn't say that it drew more than they announced because they it didn't... Drew more than it drew more than WrestleMania 3. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd already announced that WrestleMania 3 was the biggest show of all time. And because this show drew more, but still not as much as they announced for WrestleMania 3. That's they had funny. to, Yeah, they had to pretend that this one didn't draw quite as many, so... Yeah, that's just the just the way that these inflated numbers work. I'll tell you what, Vince, you did not draw six figures to that WrestleMania in Dallas. 
you you drew five. It was a very high five, but it was not six figures. That's that's funny though. Yeah. So that's just the new side of things. Let's move over to talk a little bit about the Raw and SmackDown ratings war, which has been a bit of a slaughter recently. As um and unfortunately, well, it's not changing here at this point. So for the so yeah, the November twenty first episode of SmackDown drawing a four point zero two. So slightly, slightly lower than the previous week, but pretty much at the same level. Uh, the Raw rating uh, was a 3.7, which was a massive leap up from the previous week's all-time low, or the all-time low for this period of time, at the very least, uh, to a 3.7. So they're a lot closer than they were beforehand, which is something to be said for it. Uh, yeah. It's not serious doing a, a, a bit of a benefit there with Shawn Michaels winning the title. Yeah, and I... Was thinking about this because somebody asked on Twitter, like, well, what's your favorite Survivor Series? And it really does occur to me that, like, 02 and 03 were probably peak Survivor Series for me, even though obviously they weren't doing the tremendous numbers that they were doing in, let's say, for like the 99 Survivor Series. That I think I it's really. really yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's really difficult to choose a very good Survivor Series because, especially at this period of time, it must have been hard pressed to find a bad Survivor Series for the run that they were going on. Because '98 has that big tournament. I, I guess probably '97 is probably the worst one, even though it's got the Montreal Screw Job in this period of time. But '99 is a good show. 2000, 2000 is probably a bit of the more lackluster one. Probably yeah, maybe 2000 fits into more of the negative category. But 2001, 2002, 2003 are just three just banger shows. Yeah, they really are. Um, so let's see what Raw was actually up to that helped them push up the rating. So Triple H was off the show in order to uh, nurse his injuries. Yeah, and he deserved to be. I mean, looked really bad. Yeah, so instead Shawn Michaels was appearing for the first time as World Heavyweight Champion. Um, and in the main event of the show, it was RVD defeating Booker T and Chris Jericho in a triple threat match to earn a shot at, rest- at Shawn Michaels World Championship on the next episode of Raw. Yeah, I always remembered that felt like a dream match to me. But yeah, it's, I never enjoyed the uh, actual follow through of the match. It's an interesting one because I don't know. I don't believe they ever had another singles match between like obviously Michaels would continue his run and RVD would be the company for several more years. But I don't think that they actually had another one on one match because they were both essentially perennial baby faces. So hmm. he only got he only got his one opportunity, and that was at the time when Michaels was still was not Michaels. Yeah, getting back into the swing of things. Um, instead of Triple H being there, Ric Flair was supposed to fight Kane on the show, but before the match could take place, essentially Ric Flair turned up in his suit and tried to beg off Kane. Kane chased him around, and he was attacked by Batista. So this is the first inclination of Batista becoming part of the Evolution Stables, by attacking Kane, saving Ric Flair, and dropping Kane with a powerbomb. And I've heard in the past, I believe it was MVP, who said that Vince McMahon feels if you can't get over in a feud with Glenn Jacobs, then you can't get over. Yep, well, this is the feud that he will have going forward, and we will be talking about the actual match they have as part of our Armageddon review, which you can also check out on the Patreon in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, other stuff that was happening, the reunited Dudley brothers of Bubba Ray, Devon, and Spike Dudley defeated Three Minute Warning and Rico in a six-man tag. Right in the um, wrong there. Nothing wrong there. I've forgotten that Three Minute Warning did anything after Survivor Series. Um, 
The last thing they actually end up doing as a unit is getting destroyed by Goldberg. That's how long they still keep going. Huh. Surprisingly enough, right into like April, May time, they're still. Yeah, like, I did not know that at all because I just remember they did Survivor Series and they were kind of out of the spotlight after that. Uh, Scott Steiner made his appearance on Raw after debuting at Survivor Series, having a verbal confrontation in the ring with Chris Jericho. And obviously, whenever you hear the phrase Scott Steiner and verbal confrontation, you know that there's going to be something going down. Oh, and I'm sure it was great. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's keeping him out of the ring at this point in time, it's probably for the best. And I um, think we're entering an era of Steiner where his mic skills were going to be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, other stuff that was going on, we have... Uh, oh, this is, a, this is a segment. So Stacey Keebler did a T-shirt cannon base segment in the ring where she's just firing testicle shirts out into the crowd. Oh, is she? Like, yep. yep, just filling the crowd with testicles. Uh, I, um, bet, I bet. Stevie Richards came out to essentially like ambush her after what Test and her did to him last week. Uh, so she fights back by shooting the cannon right at Stevie's testicles. Of course. So Stevie goes down there. Then Stacey's attacked by Victoria, with Victoria helping like Richards back to the back. Stacey then had a shot at the women's title on Victoria later on in the show. Victoria won very easily. Trish came down to essentially make the save when Victoria was beating down Stacey after the match. And Stevie gave her a DVT. So now we have the union of Stevie Richards and Victoria set in stone. I love this union. Yeah, they're, they're a good partnership. It definitely, it's probably the best thing that Stevie Richards did in his entire WWE run. Which I guess isn't really saying much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know. Right to center. Ah. Uh, oh yeah. That yeah. That is close. But a lot of people have a, like a, a left with a bad taste in their mouth with right to center. Yeah. It's, it's, it's close from thing. I mean, like right to center. I still feel could have been a bigger deal if they had gotten there, maybe like a year before. You know. Mm. I think a good heel Stevie versus Austin could have worked. Uh, Chris Nowinski defeated Al Snow in a School of Hard Knocks match. What does that mean? <laughs> like, well, essentially, it's a hardcore match where you have a load of weaponry based on things you would find in a classroom. Is this the beginning of like the fucking trick or treat? Oh, the, fights? They, they started a long, long time ago. It's like this is just like a tip of an iceberg at this point in time. These sort of matches we had, like what Singapore cane matches and stuff like like these gimmicked hardcore matches where you're supposed to just use certain aspects of it. I mean, that fucking women's uh, title match at Survivor Series is pretty much a good housekeeping match. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And the final bit of news from Raw was that Val Venus debuted, just out of the blue. He's no longer past SmackDown. He's on Raw now. And he met with Eric Bischoff backstage and said that he wasn't being going by the name Val anymore. That's right, because he starts doing the Chief Morley thing. Mm-hmm. I, but, I'm sure I'm one of the only, but like I thought this was good. You know, you can't do the hello, ladies, forever. No. But you would have thought we might do something. I mean, I guess... It, it was good to have Bischoff give him a bit of a lackey, but Bischoff kind of had lackeys pretty much his entire run from this point onwards because you have Chief Morley, then it was like Jonathan Coachman and Johnny Nitro at certain points as well were just guys who were just running errands for Bischoff. Right. And, you know, that's kind of a staple of the 
of the time, you know, mm. of that era. So let's move on to the episode. It's about Dan itself. November 21st, 2002 from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. So right in the heart of WWE country here. Yeah. And did you know that this held a WrestleMania once? WrestleMania 13, I think. 11. Was it not? 11. Oh, I was 11, right. Oh, because of course it was 11, because how bad was the company doing? Oh, that oh yeah, it had to be pretty bad, yeah. WrestleMania in Hartford, Connecticut. Well, it was, well, the company wasn't much better in WrestleMania 13. It was, it was going upwards, but it wasn't, like, still. That's right. By the end of WrestleMania 13, we know what we're doing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so but here in Connecticut, the opening video package highlights Brock Lesnar's path of destruction in WWE and his partnership with Paul Heyman, leading to the disintegration at Survivor Series. Um, only images are shown from the Survivor Series thing, so they don't show any clips because at this point in time, they still want people to order the pay-per-view replays. Well, yeah, I, I think that's fair. So Brock Lesnar has assumed The Undertaker's role of always stalking the parking lot for someone to turn up so he can beat them up. Well, because how are you going to know that you're a badass if you're not in the parking lot? Yeah, he's just pacing around, waiting. Uh, but then we have the intro and the pyro, and it's announced that Edge will be the first person to get a title shot against the big show for the WWE Championship in the main event of tonight's show. So uh, it's a pretty big deal. That's a good main event. I mean, it's Edge getting a world title shot that he doesn't, you know, typically get. Yeah. Well, at this um, time, anyway. I, I believe this was, I think Edge says later on in an interview that he gives that this is his first WWE Championship shot on TV. Obviously, he had the title shot of Rebellion, but that's a, a UK house show, essentially. So it doesn't really count that much. It's surprising because he's the, like, the previous year he was King of the Ring. And yeah. he never received a shot at the WWE Championship. Because Alliance. Yeah, that kind of superseded everything. Well, but to be fair, they were they were always touch and go with the whole King of the Ring winner gets title shot at SummerSlam. That's true. I'm not, I'm not saying they need to get a title shot at SummerSlam. Surely it would have made sense at one point, considering that the Edge stayed on Team WWF and Austin ended up joining Team Alliance. The Edge just one week would say, hey, I'm the king of the ring, and I should get a shot at the WWE Championship, and they just have that match, Austin retains, and you just move on. I wouldn't mind it. I'd be into it. Uh, as, as much for uh, this, ma- this show itself, we kick off with Rey Mysterio against the former Cruiserweight champion, Jamie Noble. Yeah, Jamie Noble losing that title at the Garden. That, even to lose a championship at the Garden, that must be an honor. Oh, yeah, yeah. he gets to, got to compete in front of the Madison Square Garden crowd. They had a banger match. So, and this match itself was, it was pretty short, but it was still very, very good, consider, obviously, considering the guys involved. Um, I wanted to know one thing. One thing that I just, a little detail that I love about Ray's entrance, and it's something that I shouldn't love about Ray's entrance, but it's the cameraman crouching down on the stage as you have the, like, the big pan back of the, um, the the hard camera, just looking at the stage, you just see this little black dot of the, the cameraman just waiting for Mysterio to jump up. I think that's pretty fun. Well, I missed that entrance. I wish one time, I don't know he probably can't do it anymore, I, but I wish at one time he would just do the who's that tripping out the sky entrance one more time. Maybe they could have like a crash mat or something like underneath you so he can just land softly rather than right. like, or just leap up or something. Maybe they could have a trampoline. Like or, or, you know, just get Dominic to do it. I mean, he's significantly bigger, but he can do it. So Noble looks very like visibly distressed and distracted during his entrance. Like, he knows that the title's gone. He just doesn't look himself whatsoever. 
Um, no, no ball at one point in the match lands on his feet off a monkey flip, but then he eats a drop kick. Springboard into a head scissors by Mysterio. Noble heads to the ringside area. He's just really frustrated and he's trying to get his head back on straight. Um, Noble eventually manages to get like some heat on Mysterio, targeting the shoulder. But that lasts for a certain period of time before a pop-up drop kick by Mysterio turns the advantage back to him. Flapjack, spinning heel kick. Um, Noble at one point hits a front and head and arm suplex, which Taz refers to as basically just like his innovation. Of course, Taz invented suplexes. I think that suplex is a very Taz suplex, though. I don't feel yeah. like I've seen anyone since hit that sort of suplex. I'd agree with that. Uh, Mysterio escapes the toe bomb. He hits 619. Nidia pulls him off the apron. He chases her into the ring. He avoids Noble, springs off the second rope with a Hurricane Rana for the pin on Noble. That finish was as smooth as silk. Like... I know Mysterio like was a little bit botchy at Survivor Series, but he was completely on his game tonight, and that finish was just, just fantastic. Rey Mysterio in 2002 is as good as it gets, and Jamie Noble in 2002 is as good as it gets. Yeah, short fun match. Noble's uh, losing streak is now becoming like the the big focus of the story. Um, we cut backstage. Lesnar is still pacing around in the parking lot, but he decides that he's going to walk backstage into the locker room instead to see if Big Show had just managed to sneak in somewhere. Uh, so Eddie, Chavo and Cena are sitting there talking. They smartly avoid confronting Brock. But who's there to try and cheer up Brock and give him a few words of encouragement? But good old Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy. The sensei of attitude. This is so good. So Matt Hardy like starts to do it and telling him how impressed he was for his with his performance at Survivor Series. But they said that it was awful about Heyman screwing him. But if only Brock had a few more Matt tributes, then he uh. would have uh, <laughs> suffered quite a terrible twist of fate. I love the fact that he's weaving all of these things into his, everything he says. It's all about mattitude or Matt tributes or suffering a terrible twist of fate or anything along those lines. That it's so corny, but it so works for his character. Yeah, he controls everything. He's, it is so good. Lesnar, quite rightly, throws him through a wall. <laughs> Just straight through a wall. Yeah. Um, you shout to, like, some cameos by, um, like, Crash Holly was on the treatment table on the other side of the wall. Uh, Albert was there just in the corner, just doing nothing. Michael Hayes was talking to Albert, I guess, telling him why they still didn't have anything for him at the moment. Uh, and everyone... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, everyone just checks on, everyone just says, like, Matt, they just lean over Matt and just says, like, Matt, Matt, they're, they're not getting, like, like, rushing to get medical equipment or anything like that, just staring over him, just going, Matt, Matt, you okay? Matt, just... I like that Matt Hardy, to this day, still knows how to play the I'm full of my own shit persona. And I just, great. This all works so well. Uh, after the break, trainers and Stephanie McMahon are checking on that. Uh, Eddie decides to pipe up, saying that Lesnar is a crazy maniac. And he t- he brings up this thing, which is the big thing that I I don't know how many times it's been brought up, but it's been brought up quite a lot in WWE programming. The idea of the unsafe working environment. That's a rib on Sean, right? I, I don't I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. But it's just the idea of you work in a company where people have like hardcore matches beat themselves up constantly and just because one guy gets angry backstage just like oh i don't feel safe here i don't feel like 
my health and well-being is at stake. Your health and well-being is at stake every time you actually do your job. I, I think it's always just this fun little shot at Sean being like, you know what? Bret Hart tried to legitimately beat me up. This is an unsafe work environment. And they just kept it going. Yeah. I think it's fine because just Eddie's just wanting wanting Brock Lesnar to get punished and hopefully like kicked out of the company so they don't have to deal with him anymore because he's a chicken shit hill. Yeah. Um, Eddie talks about that if Matt Hardy was Kurt Angle, who would he be facing tonight? They question like who Brock Lesnar will take out next. Uh, Stephanie says she'll handle Brock. Eddie then says, in all due respect, is Brock Lesnar actually going to listen to a woman? <laughs> well, see, see, people could take that obviously in a bad way. I think. <laughs> well, is he right? <laughs> like, well, no, I think I think Eddie did that to try and strengthen Stephanie's resolve because he's a manipulator, and I think he said that because then Stephanie might have gone easy on Lesnar, but because he said that, she's like, well. I, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm not in control of my, the company or anything like that. So, so yeah, I think that I think Eddie was deliberate with that thing. I don't think it was just him being sexist. I I don't think it was just him being sexist. First of all, look, it's par for the course at the time to be sexist. Mm. Like we we've talked at length about a lot of the things in the programming here, but it's a good angle because what they're going for all year long has been. Stephanie is trying to walk this fine line of I'm a sex symbol in some regards and I'm this powerful businesswoman. And to say, is the meathead champion going to listen to a woman? I think it works on multiple levels. So we cut on backstage where Noble is pouting. Nidia tries to comfort him. Noble talks about how they've let him down. Without the Cruiserweight Championship, the good life they build up is just all gone. So Noble says that in order to break him out of his funk and get back to winning ways, he's got to contact his crazy cousin. And Nidia is very much against the idea of bringing his crazy cousin in, but Noble says, I just have to bring Nunzio into the company. So I don't recall this being a Nunzio. No, I, no it's, it's, it's easy to forget about the idea that no, the reason why Nunzio is in the company, because he immediately almost like within a month or two of this angle starting, transitions into the full blood of the Italians. Right. And that's the thing that obviously people are more familiar with Nunzio at this period of time for. But yeah, the, his origins in origins of the company was that he was Jamie Noble's cousin from Italy. All right. I'm not going to lie. I miss shit like that in wrestling. Cause it's yeah. so like not even remotely true, but it's <laughs> like, you can, it's wrestling. You can just say, Oh, we're cousins. It's yeah, so good. And, yeah, and just trying to weave all the cruiserweights together because obviously Nunzio had come in as part of the cruiserweight division. And also the fact is they say the word Nunzio. And at this point in time, no one knows who Nunzio is, is because yeah. because everyone only knows this guy as Little Guido. I, I really, really like that. So Stephanie finds Brock Lesnar doing some more pacing in the parking lot. Uh, she says that she understands why he's upset, but she can't tolerate what happens to Matt Hardy. She says that he will get his rematch against the Big Show. I mean, she clearly doesn't know the situation that Paul Heyman knows, as we'll talk about later. But not until his hips, have, his ribs have healed up. His hips have healed up. That's the, that's a, a spoonerism way of saying it. Uh, she says that Lesnar talked her into allowing the Survivor Series match. So it's the idea that like he had to convince her to let him fight a Survivor Series because she shouldn't have let him do it because he was too injured still. Right. Which shows that uh, maybe she doesn't listen to Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Or she does listen to Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar feels like he does have some sort of power over her. Well, and he's 
I think Brock Lesnar not listening to authority. He could have been like this weird mashup of like Ultimate Warrior in strength and presentation and Stone Cold Steve Austin in attitude. I think one of the biggest misses of the last eight years is not getting more babyface Brock Lesnar. Um, Stephanie says that she will him if he lays a hand with any other SmackDown talent tonight, including Big Show and Paul Heyman. This gets Lesnar's attention finally. He stops pacing and he just leaves the screen. And when we come back from the break, it's Mark Lloyd now in his place in the in the backstage area, I... waiting for waiting for Big Show and Paul Heyman to show up. Why didn't Brock Lesnar throw Mark Lloyd through? You that know, would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been great. Uh, we move on to another cruiserweight match: Billy Kidman versus Tajiri. So second straight cruiserweight match. This is Kidman's first championship uh, cruiserweight championship defense after winning the title at Survivor Series. And they're defending against former champion, and I love Tajiri. This is good stuff. Yeah, it's a babyface, babyface match, even though they don't really do... Well, there is a, a spot where they do some chain wrestling, then Kidman offers a handshake, but Tajiri kicks his hand away and then immediately takes his head off with a kick. Rob, have I mentioned on this podcast how much I love Tajiri? Yeah, a few times. I think this cruiserweight division, Callum, is the spotlight of everything. You know, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you know what I love about this cruiserweight division over the cruiserweight division that we had. Well, we have had, and we still technically do we still have, have it. it. Yeah, we still technically have it. Obviously, it's now part of like essentially like a mid card title in NXT. But the thing I love about it is there's so much character in this cruiserweight well, division. But that character is rich throughout this entire time. That's why, as cringy as it is, Don Marie Al Wilson exists because mm. it's character based and you know jamie noble we kind of glossed over this but he's playing it to the hilt here's mm. a guy who, like i i'm a champion now i can afford clean running water and now he's sad because he doesn't have the belt and they make you care about everything and now it's just athletic guy does a flip people cheered yeah well, they don't even cheer. They don't cheer now. Cheer now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they don't cheer. They wouldn't even cheer him when they still had fans in the building in Terrified That's true. Life. But, but it's interesting because the, the one guy that doesn't really have character is the guy that they currently have the belt on, which is Billy Kidman. Right, but Billy, Billy Kidman's a good, a solid workhorse and can, you know, he's done a lot this year. I think he's had that great match with Kurt Angle. He's done quite a few things. You know who Billy Kidman reminds me of? Who? It's that, you know, Southpaw Regional Wrestling? Yes. That, was it John Johnson or something like that, or Joe Johnson or whatever it is? Whoever the TJP character was, who was the champion? Just like everyone else is just all these crazy, zany, wacky characters, and he's just a wrestler in the middle of it. Right. I think it's like, you know, I compared him to Bret Hart, one of the recent ones. And I don't mean that in terms of like... Like, Bret Hart's obviously, you know, one of the best of all time. Billy Kidman's good, but Kidman reminds me of Hart in the vein of he's just a guy, and it's much like Bret Hart, you know? Here's Yokozuna and all these, Doink the Clown, all these people, and then there's just Bret Hart. That's what Billy Kidman is. So Kidman misses a splash in the corner, but then connects with a drop kick. He tries to drag Tajiri into the corner for the shooting star, but Tajiri kicks him away from the floor. Uh, applies the tarantula, but then he misses the buzzsaw kick. Kidman hits a Kurakamrana, 
but then he tries to go for the pinfall to do bridges out of it like the matrix and then kicks kidman right in the back of the head for two damn right he does uh kim reverse a power attempt into a ushiguroshi uh handspring elbow by tajiri he tr- attempts a tornado dt but kidman reverses this into a spine buster tajiri's in perfect position now he climbs up hits the shooting star press and retains your championship again pretty short but again a very very solid match. why isn't he doing the powerbomb x-factor as his finish or the top rope educator as his finish why because the shooting star because at the time no one else is doing the shooting star granted but is anybody doing a powerbomb into an x-factor um no i guess not i guess that was always like that's always been a transition move for kidman because there was this long-running story about the idea that you never do a powerbomb against kidman because he's just gonna hit the x-factor on you Right, I think I think it's it's difficult to have that as a finisher because it essentially it's a finisher that you hit. You can only hit in a situation depending on whether a guy hits you with a powerball. In the well, move, that's in fair, match. and it's like I guess you can do the shooting star on anybody, and even though that's not as big of a deal back then because they weren't putting Kidman against the big show, it's still good to have in your arsenal. So Lloyd uh, meets up with Big Show and Paul Heyman, who arrive in the building. And the great touch with this point, Heyman is clutching the WWE Championship because that's all he cares about. Paul Heyman, I am surprised, failed every other client post, uh, not named Brock Lesnar post-2012, because Heyman could totally do a great gimmick of... I'm just going to follow the belt. Oh, he did. I'm... Did he? Sam Punk. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's true. He did just kind of clutch it. But like, that's what I'm talking about. Heyman is a great manager of champions because Heyman loves putting over the importance of titles, which is something that wasn't as big of an issue in 2002. But you look back on it now and it's like, wow, everybody wanted to be WWE champions so much so that they got rid of the other 12 titles that they had because all that mattered was being the top guy on your brand. So Lloyd informs them about what Lesnar did to Matt Hardy earlier. They don't seem phased. Heyman says there's a big difference between Matt Hardy and the big show. He reminds Mark Lloyd that if Lesnar lays a hand on them, he'll be suspended. Big show then intimidates Lloyd, telling him that the new WWE champion is here. He has to be cajoled by Heyman actually to do it in the first place. So, you can kind of tell with this one who the puppet master and who the puppet is. Which is weird because, like, he didn't want Brock Lesnar to do that. But, but, no, but, that's, but that's the thing, is the fact that Heyman inflates Big Show's ego by saying that Lesnar is just a Neanderthal and he never would listen to reason. He's a hothead. And the reason he does that is because he knows that Big Show is easier to manipulate than Brock Lesnar is. That's well, how I, I read that, it anyway. I, no, I guess that is true. Because he does manipulate the Big Show all the way to being on board with the next transition, which we'll get to in a month. Absolutely. So there's a WWE Ryan sponsored by SmackDown. Shut your mouth. It's of the tag team title match at Survivor Series. Uh, Great video game. Great match. Yep. And we're going to see, well, two of the people who are involved in this match now. It's Chris Benoit versus Chavo Guerrero. Not my favorite pairing of the two. No, of course not. But Chavo's accompanied to the ring by Eddie, both wearing their new tag team championships. Uh, Mike Yoda forces Eddie to the locker room to make sure this is going to be a one-on-one match. 
Benoit dominates early with multiple backbreakers. Uh, Guerrero does the what seems to be now the commonplace Bret Hart bump out of the corner. Yeah, into, what, yeah, no, it's just oh, everyone, everybody there? is doing the Bret Hart bump now. Well, like what happened there? Who was watching, you know, uh, the Iron Man match or something? I was like, you know what? Nobody's doing that. Let's all do that. Well, you know what happened is that you've got two guys who basically a vast, well, I understand vast majority, but a significant proportion of their offense is hitting German suplexes. So, like, well, what's the perfect way to set up for a German suplex? I don't know. Why don't we hit the turnbuckle going face first, and then we're walking backwards straight into the German suplex? That, that is fair. So, uh, Ben hits a first German suplex, but then Chavo blocks another, gets some gut strikes in. Uh, he sends Benoit repeatedly into the middle turnbuckle gut first to get the heat. Uh, he blocks a run to a crossface attempt, but Chavo rolls through this, sends Benoit to ringside. I thought that was a very nice uh, counter he put there. And then he performs a suicide dive. So Chavo's got his working shoes on. Yeah, and this is, again, this is still Chavo, obviously, pre-Eddie's death, and Chavo is just being Chavo instead of being Eddie Guerrero Light. So Benoit, at one point of the heat, hits a triple German suplexes. The last one turns Chavo pretty inside out. He connects with a diving headbutt, but Chavo kicks out of the diving headbutt. Yeah, I, 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 know, I, know, I, know I don't think so. It's not always his finish. No, it isn't always, but it's just, it's just weird that it's like, you would assume that, again, no offense to Chavo or anything like that, but somebody of Chavo's level kicking out of the diving headbutt it felt, felt a little bit, hmm. Well, remember, they're presented as on the same level at this point. They've been fighting each other pretty consistently. True. Uh, Chavo d- goes for a springing dive at one point, but then he's caught in the crossface, taps out. And another very solid match. Uh, well, again, we'll say it until at least middle of December. If you put any of the SmackDown 6 in the ring together, it's a banger match. Absolutely. Uh, Brock is with Stephanie in her office. She informs him to stay put as Big Show and Paul Heyman have been given some time to talk in the ring. Uh, she says that Heyman will be doing everything possible to provoke Lesnar to get him to fight. She says that Lesnar is a valuable commodity to smack down and she won't allow him to get hurt. So she reiterates her threat to suspend Brock and Brock tells her that's bullshit. Yeah. I, this is something that has happened with Lesnar quite, well, I think once at least, where he stopped you know he's going to say a swear and you know they're going to so what he does is he says the first word and then he pauses before saying the swear because he wants to get I don't know he's not used to the seven second delay Mm, I guess not Um, Lesnar's music hits after the break but it's actually Paul Heyman wearing the WWE title around his waist and mocking Brock Lesnar's like hopping entrance he teases even jumping up onto the apron before climbing up the steps as a there are really loud asshole chants just raining down. I don't know if they're piped in or not, but... Might be piped in. Yeah, but it was clear what they wanted to get the message across for Heyman. I spotted a spot sign in the crowd, completely unrelated. Eddie fears Billy Ray Cyrus. Well, obviously. Who's got the better mullet? That, <laughs> that is the reason why it is. I just thought that was just so random. <laughs> there. Um, yeah, it's like... I I love the fact that there are so many signs specifically related to Eddie Guerrero and his choice of hairstyle. Mm. I just it just it's a great atmosphere to just see loads of signs because it's just something you don't see you didn't even see nowadays when there was loads of crowds. Yeah, I don't know why that went away. I guess it was just a, a 
people just not wanting to go into the effort anymore to do that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe it's, that's maybe the, the idea that was great sentenceship or things like that. You know, you would hope. I know that we got the the uh, Velveteen Dream fire Velveteen Dream thing, but you'd hope that they at least put signs in the Thunderdome or something. Mm. So Heyman says he's on top of the world. He talks about like a once in a lifetime person with no peers, the it factor, something that lets him conquer all his fears and stand out in the locker room. And you're meant to believe that he's talking about Brock Lesnar, but he's actually talking about himself and his own extraordinary greatness. And the fact that the only reason that Lesnar became champion and dominated for as long as possibly could is because of his strategy behind it. Yeah, I, I like this, but I also kind of feel like Big Show is dumb. (laughs) <laughs> like he's so dumb yeah he's pretty dumb because yeah. <laughs> this guy this guy clearly only is only interested in WWE championship but then again it's maybe it's an idea that they're both just using each other in the sense that Heyman is using him because he's a big he th- sees him as a big dumb giant that he knows could beat Lesnar with his help and Heyman, and, and uh, Brock, Big Show thinks well this guy's going to give me an edge against Lesnar and I want to be WWE champion so they're both getting something out of it at the very least I would agree with that statement that they're both using each other until um, the uh, Armageddon pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, that's true. But there's the idea that he doesn't need to use him anymore because he found someone else to use. It's it's so crazy that they literally... The, the biggest heel on SmackDown from now until WrestleMania, which is when our journey ends, is Paul Heyman. Absolutely. 100% is Paul Heyman. Uh, he talks about the fact that the monster stopped listening to Dr. Frankenstein, so he had to show Lesnar who's boss at Survivor Series. And then he talks about how he single-handedly engineered the greatest inside job in the history of pro wrestling, basically not giving any credit to the guy who actually pinned the WWE champion in that match himself. Now, but hold on. But in fairness, he's right. Because oh, yeah. Brock Lesnar beat the big show with the F5, and Paul Heyman had to stop it. Absolutely. Uh, he says Big Show listens to him and recognizes his greatness. Then he introduces a new champion wearing a brown and beige suit. Yeah. Is there some sort of a session with the color brown at this point with Michael's tights and now Big Show wearing this stuff? I feel like uh, it's, it's, very, it's very neutral color. Maybe, maybe Vince is wearing a lot of brown. But this Big Show is like your oversized dad. <laughs> that wants to just sit down in the morning and drink his coffee and read the newspaper. I don't know what's up with this look for the big show, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. Uh, big show says he'd like to thank Lesnar for giving him the opportunity and being so hot headed as to give him everything that Lesnar once had. He took his agent, his title and his life away from him. And there wasn't a damn thing he could do about it. Edge has his opportunity tonight, but there's no way he's giving up the title. Heyman publicly dumps Lesnar as his client and then says that in his final act as Brock Lesnar's agent, he negotiated a clause in the Survivor Series contract revoking Lesnar's rematch clause. Wow, logic. It hurts. (laughs) I know. It it is so unbelievably logical. It's painful. (laughs) It's just, yeah, it, it just like... Okay, so Lesnar can't get his rematch now. He might as well have entered something in the contract basically saying that, yeah, Lesnar can't get a shot while the Big Show is champion. Yep. And that's genius. Yeah, so they glow walking up the ramp, but they eventually see Lesnar jumping the barricade and grabbing a steel chair. 
Uh, Hangman manages to scarper because Big Show is a lot bigger. He can't exactly run as fast. So he turns around and he's hit, nailed right in the back with a steel chair by Lesnar. Before Lesnar can do too much damage, uh, referees, producers, Stephanie McMahon surround him before they can before he can even get to Heyman backstage as well. Uh, during the break, Lesnar tries to get he's trying to get to Heyman, but Stephanie screams that if he does one more thing there tonight, she will suspend him and dares her and dares him to try her one more time. So Stephanie hasn't fulfilled her promise, which is an important point which we'll bring up later. But she is essentially giving him one final warning. Yeah, and Brock Lesnar, his run to Mania, he must have been legitimately hurt because his run to Mania is kind of, like, stalled a little bit. Like, he's involved in Armageddon, but he's not wrestling. He's in the Royal Rumble itself, but, like, he very quickly becomes a stereotypical WWE guy who's more emphasized in character than he is the actual, like, wrestler aspect. So we move to the next match on the show, which is Kurt Angle versus Eddie Guerrero, one of my favorite pairings of all time. Yep. Um, This is the longest match on the show, which is saying something, because no match on the show went longer than 10 minutes. I love that about these shows, don't you? Occasionally, I do. I do. I think that I like the pattern that they've previously done of like having a lot of slightly shorter matches and then having one lengthy match. And I guess it doesn't. I guess this one counts as that one, but it because in fact it went less than ten minutes. Still, was a little bit. Maybe this one could have been given a bit more time. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, they announced that next week's show is going to be a Thanksgiving special. Because um, uh, you know what that means. A huge drop in the ratings. <laughs> means it means three things. It means huge drop in the ratings. It means we're gonna make some kind of big show. He eats a lot of jokes. And it means that Don Marie and Tori Wilson will inevitably throw pies in each other's faces. Oh, uh, you love to see it. That's yeah, what you love guys to see go, it. That's what you guys have to look forward to next week. So uh, again, Brian Hebner forces uh, Charvo to go to the back. Uh chain wrestling to star, Eddie goes flying out of the ring following a shoulder block, which I thought was hilarious. Just like yeah. he just gets not with a shoulder tackle and he's just running straight to the out the ring. Oh, this is Eddie's doing some like Kurt Hennig shit here where he's like, I can sell for anybody and everybody. Please put me at a top spot. At one point, Angle hits a huge back button drop and then does a monkey flip. Have you ever seen Kurt Angle do a monkey flip before? If you're going to do it, you're going to do it against Eddie. Oh, yeah, of course you are. Just like he's got to prove that point here. Uh, he goes after Eddie on the floor, but he's driven hard into the steel steps. So Eddie gets the heat. Or oh, Eddie gets the heat this way is that he carries two steel chairs around. So the ref, he tries to take one of them into the ring, leaving the other propped up against the uh, ring apron. Referee stops him for doing that. He hands the chair to Tony Chimmel. At this point, Eddie then just smashes Angle into the back with the other chair. Uh, Taz uh, very notably points out about how the ref should get his uh, hearing aid fixed. Yeah. Just like that's one of my it's one of my least favorite spots in wrestling is just the idea of wow you did not realize you did not hear for a second that Eddie just smashed this guy right in the back with a steel chair. No, because hearing doesn't matter. A fan could be smacking their chair in the audience. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta see it. Uh, Eddie hits a Northern Light suplex for a bridge for two. Crowd start chanting USA. So, Eddie's and from Ed- Mexico, right? No, he's from he's from El Paso, Texas. Well, okay, but he but he's like 
he claims Mexico and Kurt claims USA. It, it, it works better than other times people have chanted USA. Yeah, you remember like uh, when people started chanting USA when it was uh, Chris Benoit on Edge versus La Resistance? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, USA. Right? That, that doesn't work. Uh, angle reverses another Northern Lights suplex turns into a slightly wonky Tornado DDT, but it still works. Chavo then returns to the stage as Angle starts to come back, and then he slowly starts creeping towards the ring. Like, he's trying to do it so nonchalantly, as if, like, the referee can't tell that this guy is, like, stalking his way to the ring. Um, Eddie hits Tilt the Woods uh, backbreaker at one point, uh, with Eddie's knee landing right between Angle's shoulder blades. So that looked like it sucked. Uh, Angle hits two German suplexes, but then his mule kicked before uh, the third outside of the referee's view. He tosses Angle out of the ring and Chavo stomps him in a bit before running up the ramp and pretending like nothing's happened. And that's where we see Benoit appear on top of the stage. Ha. Now, this here is, is interesting. Yeah, this is the interesting dynamic because essentially a lot of the rest of the match is Eddie beating up Angle, sending Angle to the outside and Chavo just getting a few shots in. Whereas Benoit just stands there. He's not, he's not moving. He's not looking to interfere with Chavo or anything like that. He's just standing at the top of the ramp watching all this happen. Um... Angle then sends Eddie flying with a German suplex. Chavo tries to distract him on the apron. This allows Eddie to hit a brain buster. Uh, but as Eddie's climbing up for the frog splash, Angle stops him. He decks Chavo, knocking him off the apron. He then nails an angle slam from the top rope to win the match. Again, very, very good match. Chavo then tries to do a post-match attack. Angle drops him down, locks him in the ankle lock, forces him to tap out. So Angle single-handedly takes down both members of the tag team champions, while Benoit just stands there at the top of the ramp, giving an applause to Angle. I like it. Because you yeah, don't so know where they stand. Yeah, you still, you still like, Benoit is not doing anything to punish Angle, but he still doesn't like Angle, so he wants, still wants to see him suffer it a bit. But he's impressed with Angle managing to handle their business themselves. And as a spoiler for next week, next week we will have a tag team title, I guess, rematch, where it is Los Guerreros defending against Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. And more importantly, this is also the start of, like, Benoit's going to fight Guerrero at the next pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're sowing those seeds as well. So, Edge goes over some notes backstage with Funaki before their interview segment. There's another hype package for Scott Steiner, saying that he'll guest star on SmackDown next week. Why? Uh, because he's still a free agent. Have so. That's right, they don't sign him until... Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, he's not signed for a a while. So, at the moment, while he's still a free agent, he's just going to be appearing on both shows. Both guys, both Stephanie and Eric Bischoff are trying to sign him. Um, It ends with uh, the uh, boom shakalaka phrase. I love the phrase boom shakalaka. Is that a Scott Steiner, like... That's not just a Scott Steiner thing, right? No, 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 no. So, like, when I hear boom shakalaka... I think NBA Jam, but like it was also used by Vince McMahon in the aforementioned WrestleMania the Arcade game, which WWE apparently did not want to claim to sell anymore. And uh, fun outside the wrestling world knows that is my text message tone. Vince McMahon saying Boom Chakalaka. Wow, really, really behind the curtain there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Edge talks about in his interview with Funaki how big the big show is. And Funaki says that he reminds him of Godzilla because he's a Japanese stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, well, that, that's right, isn't it, Rob? I'm not wrong when saying that. 
that's that's good. Uh, Edge plugs the town that they're in. He says that he's the King Kong to Big Show's Godzilla. Uh, Edge says that this is his first shot at the WWE Championship on SmackDown, and he's going to make the most of his opportunity, saying that he knows that he's going to be thrown around and beaten up by a Big Show, but that's the price that he's willing to pay to win the championship. I uh, love it, man. Dude. We see our third. Oh, oh yeah. We no, see our but just th- like po- promos about the importance of winning championships. I miss it. I want it back. Please give it to me. Absolutely. Uh, we see our first Raw retro promo, essentially building up the idea that we're approaching Raw's tenth anniversary, or what they say is Raw's tenth anniversary. It's actually ten years. It's actually their ninth anniversary because, as we all know, you're, it's not an anniversary. Like the the day that you get married is not your first wedding anniversary. <laughs> Put it that well, way. Yeah, that is true. The most egregious example WWE has ever done of that is the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania when it's actually just WrestleMania 25. Yeah, right, because it's the 24th. Yeah, the 25th anniversary is WrestleMania 26. Yeah. As as weird as that sounds. But uh, this uh, Raw Retro segment was the This Is Your Life segment with The Rock and Mick Foley. So, Um, wow. Big thing to to highlight there. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the idea that this war is pretty much over now between Raw and SmackDown because they're just highlighting Raw's big event on their show. Yeah, I mean, you got to do the Raw rebound and the... Was it the Raw rebound and the SmackDown rebound? I believe that's what they said It was a Raw rebound at one point. I don't know what they... Yeah. I don't know if they referred to it as SmackDown rebound. I would have hoped they would come up with a snappier name for it. Oh, but I remember those. And those were important. And yeah, at the end of the day, they were just the same company. So we have John Cena versus Rikishi. Uh, John Cena finally has a rap-based ba- rap entrance theme. It's still not basic thugonomics, but at least it's a bit more on brand. Uh, uh, well, yeah, and we're getting to basic thugonomics. What are we? We don't get to basic thugonomics in this journey, do we? No, I think it's um, I think it's around about the time that he's feuding with Lesnar over the WWE Championship. We get basic thugonomics. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, before the match can kick off, Dawn, Marie, and Al Wilson appear on stage. And at this point, the commentary team have basically just been told, just laugh at everything that Al Wilson says. Just bury everything that Al Wilson does on this show because that, that's just the hilarity they get out of it. And that's what they're told to do. Yeah, it's almost certainly what they've been told to do. So Dawn says that she'd like to share their wedding day with every SmackDown fan and everyone who supported their love. Uh, Al says that everyone can consider themselves cordially invited to the wedding ceremony, so they're going to do it live on SmackDown at some point, and then they make out on stage. <laughs> Pretty much it. No, uh, wait, ta- is this, have they announced that they're going to be ass naked yet? No, not yet. Okay. They, don't actually do, they actually do that till the day of the wedding themselves, I believe. Uh. So uh, Taz says that um, Al's so old that his grandkids collect social security. Which is odd, considering his actual real-life daughter is on the show as a 20-something-year-old. Yeah. yeah, what are they doing? I know, it was just uh, Taz's humour there. Uh, we return from break, seen in the middle of the action, we've seen a clothesline in Rikishi. Uh, then he hits a back suplex. Uh, Rikishi misses sitting down Cena. So Cena then decides, in retaliation, he's just going to sit on Rikishi's chest. Just going to drop down, sit on Rikishi's chest. And Rikishi kicks out, sending Cena through the middle rope. And Cena gets all bug-eyed because he's just a caricature at this point. Yeah, he's not good. And it's funny to say that because he's John Cena and he's great. Well, Cena's but always he's... been a bit of a caricature. 
but he's so not good here. It's it's like, it's over the top. It's it's really overkill at this point. When what is it the Nexus? There's a moment in time where he just like shakes with rage before clotheslining somebody. But yeah, like he when he wants to be, he can just be a complete fucking you know joke of himself. Yeah, I think I think the, the most uh, clear example I did in, in more modern times, or no, it's like still many years ago at this point, is the um the um uh what was it Unleash the Hate or anything like that or Oh like, right, the Rise of Hate stuff was yeah. so uh cheeky. Very yeah, not great stuff. Uh so Cena then gets back in the ring like a cartoon villain, he just gets in Rikishi's face, tells him to bring it on. So Rikishi just hits him with one punch and knocks him down. I like and then that. Rikishi, and, yeah, and then Rikishi just dominates the rest of it. Samoan drop, corner splash, belly to back suplex, and then he pins him. Again, I've said this a lot throughout this journey, but I want more Rikishi. And, like, I want more Rikishi here than I did when he was actually the, you know, in a world title hell in a cell. Like, this is a good Rikishi. Well, you get to see more Rikishi next week, or, or at least, like, going forward, because he's about to enter a feud with B squared. Oh my god. We're getting Bull Buchanan on mainline television, folks. Yeah, Bull Buchanan is brought back from the well, essentially from the ether, because he pretty much was <laughs> he was pretty much was absent for the entire alliance storyline. He hasn't done anything of note since right Sensor at this point. That's insane. So yeah, so but essentially I don't think he'd been on WWE TV since around about May or June of two thousand and one. By this point and so he comes back as the lackey to john cena uh they still refer to him as bill can at this point because he's not been christened b squared but cena says that this is his boy right here um bill buchanan was very athletic bill buchanan has been with this company forever he was in this company he was in the, the what's that thing with don Callis? the the truth commission all right he's, he's in the truth commission how have they not found a spot for Bull Buchanan? Well, they have a spot in right center for him, but once that went, they just seem to not have any plans for him. And the thing is that this is a guy who was both incredibly powerful, which is displayed by the fact that he hits Rikishi with a electric chair in this in the, this beatdown. And then he hits two leg drops where he leaps miles into the air while doing them. But this guy was like, I think nowadays he'd fit in a lot better than he would have done back then because... He's one of those guys that shows a lot of athleticism, but not a huge amount of character. Right. So, um, Bull Buchanan, you know, he is the first guy, well, yeah, he wasn't the first guy, but he did the scissors kick before Booker. Yeah. And, like, he's good. And the fact that they didn't find a spot for him shows how seriously they took television time back then. So, Heyman sits backstage with an in pain big show. Says it's a bad, this is a bad situation. Uh, Heyman says Lesnar wants to rip them both limb from limb, but Big Show's more concerned about his back. He tells Heyman that he can't defend the title tonight. He t- orders Heyman to go to Stephanie, tell her to get Lesnar off his back, and that he can't compete tonight. Heyman leaves, clutching the WWE Championship. Heyman just wants to be WWE champion. He wants to be WWE champion, but he never wants to take any single bump, and this is the only way he can do it. I love it. I think this managers need to be used more like this. 
they show a really long replay of all the Lesnar show and Heyman related stuff from tonight. And this is where I kind of go, well, couldn't you give, couldn't you have given Angle and Eddie three more minutes and just shown like one replay? I know. I think this is fair because this is probably top of the hour, right? And this is way past top of the hour. Well, maybe it's, it's one of those, if there was a ball game on or something and somebody's just tuning in, here's what you missed. I don't mind that stuff when it's like, you know, maybe somebody's not tuning into the show tonight. Let's try to catch them up. I mind the, you know, the kickoff show stuff that we talk about where it's like, here's an entire two months worth of footage. It's like, okay, at some point, you got to tell these people that they need to watch your program. So we cut to Heyman in Stephanie's office looking concerned. Uh, Stephanie says she doesn't know where Brock is and Heyman just screams. It's like, what do you know? <laughs> what do you mean you don't know where Brock is? And then he just calms down and he's back to normal. Uh, Heyman ah. says, no, yeah, he's just great. Yeah, he is. Uh, Heyman says nothing will stop Brock if he wants revenge and then slips in that shows in no condition to fight tonight. He kind of just like, does slip that in. It's seemingly like, like Stephanie won't notice. Uh, Stephanie says that Show will defend his title regardless of anything tonight. So Heyman wants reassurance that Brock won't attack again. Stephanie says if he gets involved, she will suspend him. Heyman rightly brings up the fact that she said that before and didn't follow through. She then gives him a complete guarantee. Heyman then really gets like aggressive at this point and just says he will sue Stephanie, her father, their whole family, and SmackDown if Brock attacks either of him or the big show in the match later. Stephanie gets angry to get the hell out of her office. And then we're on the on course for the main event now. I love it. So much of this is like, again, so logical it hurts. Big Show versus Edge for the WWE Championship is our main event. Um, there's a nice touch of when, during Show's entrance, Heyman is just looking over his shoulder constantly, just looking for whether Lesnar's going to turn up because no one knows where Lesnar is at this point. Uh, Show throws Edge into the corner repeatedly, but Edge uses his quickness to avoid a big boot and hits a drop kick to the knee, so he starts going after the leg of the Big Show, as you would do against the bigger guy. Uh, big Show blocks an edge and then soon drops Edge with a clothesline. There's a massive bill by Big Show, followed by a backbreaker. There's loud Big Show sucks chants echoing around the arena. As you would expect. Yeah. Edge tries the execution, but he's tossed away by the Big Show. Uh, there's a huge chop to the chest of Edge while he's on the apron. Then he's slammed into the ring post, the same sort of way that he did to Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series. Uh, he applies a bear hug, because every big man should. And it's, it's a good move. Uh, then tosses Edge to the floor, hits a suplex on Edge. It's like you didn't really see Big Show hit too many suplexes. Um, yeah, but Big Show can hit a suplex on Edge because Edge is tiny compared to Big Show. Oh yeah, he can do it, but especially like, this Edge. Yeah, it's just it's just very odd to see Big Show do it because it's very like, I guess it's just odd to see the a big man willingly go to his back on a bump, pretty much. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, show cat. Uh, show removes the top turnbuckle pad, but Edge manages to send Show into it with a drop toe hold. Um, show catches Edge for a choke slam. So Edge grabs the referee, just blatantly grabs the referee and hits a low blow. It's just like, okay, you're the you're the de facto babyface because this guy is a total heel. So I guess you can get away with that. It's very much the Austin Rock mentality of, hey, babyfaces should do like shitty things to other people. Um, yeah, and again, 
I think one of the best parts of this journey has been watching the heels be heels. Mm. Um, so he hits a tornado DT, gets two count. Edge then connects with two spears. Big Show just staggers off both of them. Uh, he ducks a clothesline, then hits a third massive spear, knocks the Big Show down. And Edge is going to pin the Big Show in this match until Heyman pulls Edge out of the ring. And I'm looking at this now and thinking, oh my God, are you kidding me? And it's not a case of like, Edge is great, and I'm not taking anything away from Edge. Just the idea of, this is the guy that you said to beat, you just had beat Brock Lesnar, that you're undefeated champion for so many months. And you, and he's a giant, he's 500 pounds, he's seven foot tall, and he has to cheat to win against Edge. Edge is a tag team guy at this point. I understand that, but it's still, it's like this. It's like Paul Heyman is so stupid that he screwed over his own guy at the risk of keeping the championship. Big Show probably was going to kick out, but Heyman just got over his house. In fact, it would have still had Big Show kick out and had Heyman pull out the referee or something, you know? I, I, I may, maybe, but it's just that I didn't get the sense that Big Show was going to kick out if Heyman didn't pull him out. And it's just the idea of the fact that I, there's there's something to be said about having like chicken shit champions and things like that. That can be an effective thing, an effective heel mechanic. But you've got this 500 pound giant. He should not be a chicken shit heel that has to like be helped every single way to defend his championship. He should be against most people. He should be a giant against Brock Lesnar. He can obviously be thrown around a little bit because Brock Lesnar's a freak of nature. Against someone maybe like a Kurt Angle who you're trying to position upwards, Kurt Angle can grapple him down and things like that. Edge is a guy who's on the rise. Don't get me wrong, but. Under no circumstances should he have gotten a potential visual pinfall in the big show here. I guess it's more of had I, I've said this before, like would Edge have gotten the WWE title push outside of guys like Eddie and Benoit if Edge wasn't out for two WrestleManias upcoming? Potentially. Um, Edge chases Heyman around the ring, but Show grabs him on the floor. Gets him up on the apron and choke slams him from the apron into the ring. Uh, Heyman then grabs the microphone and tells Show not to pin him yet, but to treat him like Brock Lesnar. So Show hits another choke slam, hits a third choke slam. Heyman is just laughing it along. But before the match is even like over and Big Show's pinned Edge to defeat him, Lesnar charges the ring and he hits another F5 on the Big Show. Crowd again goes crazy. They're still super excited for that spot. Yeah, because it's amazing. And if you're in the arena for it, you're seeing something special. So Lesnar follows Heyman through the crowd, chasing him down. Heyman escapes into a limo from the pursuing Heyman after we see a little bit of a replay of the stuff that's happened before. And the show ends with Lesnar just in a like in an angry haze about the fact that he's missed out on getting his revenge on Heyman. And there's no confirmation about what's going to happen with Lesnar in terms of a suspension. I believe they do suspend him, don't they? They do, but they wait until next week to do that. Right. But at, at this point in time, it's left as a cliff, a cliffhanger. So I would have just, I would have just had Stephanie come out and suspend him, but it would have, you know, it would have killed the nice pop of ah, he hit the F five on the big show. That's awesome. Yeah. Brock Lesnar is the top guy now. So this was a good, a good show, good follow up to the size series. That none of the matches obviously went particularly long, but they were all. Pretty fun. You got a WWE Championship match. You got some interaction between like, all the SmackDown Six guys were in action in some form or another. And yeah, some good cruiserweight stuff as well. 
yeah, and the dormery owls and stuff was kept to pretty much a minimum. So yeah. yeah, what I like about this era, they they know when to keep things light. They went a little overboard early in the GM era with the Bischoff Stephanie stuff, but that's kind of dead now. It ended with a cringe kiss, but it ended, you know. Yeah. By by Royal Rumble, we wouldn't even be talking about Al Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is a um, yeah, so good show, good like weaving narrative of the Lesnar stuff going through it. Lesnar's clearly being positioned as a top star on SmackDown and a top baby face now, so that's all working well. I think everything outside of the Rikishi Cena thing was good, and that was all on John, I think. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, good episode of SmackDown, and we can look forward to next week's one. As I mentioned, there is the big suspension angle between um, Lesnar and. Uh, yeah, between Lesnar and Stephanie, we also have Scott Steiner making his SmackDown debut. We also have uh, the tag team championship match between Los Guerreros, Kurt Angle, and Chris Benoit. And in the main event, there is a surprise challenger for the WWE Championship, and I'm going to leave that open ended because I could give every single in- people in the views. If you've never seen it before, if you've never seen something sent down, it's a challenge to people in the comment section to have a guess over who you think will be challenging Big Show for the WWE Championship, because I could give you a good hundred guesses and you would never guess if you've never seen this episode of SmackDown before. Wow, that is that is quite the uh the I was also going to say, I'd give you a thousand guesses and you wouldn't guess who is challenging the Big Show. Wow. That's how confident I am. So there, there you go. I, I, I can't recall if it is actually like a strictly a WWE Championship match, but it's the person that fights the big show on this show on, on next week's SmackDown. If you haven't seen it, then you, I, I would highly doubt you'd be able to guess it. But that's all you have to look forward to next week. So, Rob, you want to throw out some of your plugs now? Yeah, and before I do, I, we're not done by a long shot this weekend, guys. Come mm. back tomorrow for all things Survivor Series. We will be seeing Rikishi on the show as part of the undertaker's final farewell we will be seeing kurt angle on the show so there's lots of the uh 2002 crossover uh tony will be here callum will be here i'll be here we'll be talking all that good stuff so come back tomorrow again donate to the patreon even a dollar helps if everybody who subscribed to this channel just donated a dollar to the smart government patreon there'd be so much more content and we appreciate all you can do. But as far as me specifically, you can follow me on Twitter at DudeFelice. Check out everything I'm doing over at Fightful.com and WrestleZone.com and all their podcasts. And I will see you guys here next week. Yep, just a few more things to round off, guys. Just make sure, as Rob said, donate to the Patreon. If you can't do that or you want to pick up some merchandise, there's obviously the Smart Cat Moment, Redbubble, and Public stores. So make sure you check those out as well. Check out all the other great articles on Smart Cat Moment. Join the Mega Maniacs. Follow Smart Cat Moment on Facebook, Twitter, all that other good stuff. Uh, follow Fanboys Anonymous as well, Tony's Geek Culture website. So anything that's movie-related, comic book-related, TV show-related, that's where you will find it. Me personally, you can follow me on Twitter, at Wigmeister14. Uh, follow all the Fantasy League developments because Survivor Series is going to be a big swinger on the Survivor Series front, especially with extra points available for sole survivors on the team. So... If that happens, then that could really shake things up one way or another. But yeah, uh, thanks for listening to this one. We'll see you again next week with another edition. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we are being counted out.